Boom, put boom, 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 Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of A Side B Side podcast. What's going on, Adam? Not too much, Brooke. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, so how was your week? Uh, it was packed full. It seems like we're trying to get as much into the last few weeks of summer as possible. So uh, I have been feeling like I've been going nonstop. Uh, I haven't really been able to relax much, which is weird. Usually summer, you're supposed to, you know, kick back in a deck chair and, and enjoy yourself. It feels like you're just bouncing from place to place. So I've seen you've taken some some nice walks and some nice pictures. You've got like a new Instagram photo account. Yeah, yeah. I've been taking pictures for a few years and I just thought that it would be logical to have it all in one place. And so I've been, uh, I've got a new Instagram thingy that I put all my photos from walks and nature stuff and cityscapes. Uh, it's been fun. I've been trying to find little outlets like that uh, over the last year with like, with the uh, shutdown and this random chaos and everything that, so I found it was hard to like do big stuff some days because the motivation wasn't there because, you know, evidently we've all gone through a lot in the last year. So uh, it's been really nice. I create a couple of Instagram accounts and just get a little bit of the creative outlet that way. Did you finally see Snake Eyes? I still haven't. I tried to. I hopped on a Lime scooter at 925 and rocketed the half a mile to the theater only to find out that they were closed that day. So did you look online? I did, but I guess I looked at the wrong day. I don't know. I've That's happened twice in the last week where I've looked online and then uh, gone to a place only to find out that they were closed and online was incorrect. So uh, it's happened at our restaurant too, where things have changed so many times in the last 15 months, whether it was shutdowns or you know, hours or menus that like, it's hard to trust what's online because you look at something, if it's two months old, or hasn't been updated in a while, it may not be correct. So I, I ran all the way down to uh, about a mile away to a running store to pick up my uh, registration packet for the 5K that I'm doing on Saturday. And I got there and they were closed because they were closed on Mondays. And I'm like, ah, darn Ooh, it. What kind of a 5K are you doing? Uh, it's the RBC Run for Children. So it goes to uh, Ronald McDonald House and, uh, both of my little ones, uh, when they were born, uh, we ended up staying in the Ronald McDonald house. So it's a, it's a fun little quick jaunt down uh, by the Mississippi River. I like this one because it's mostly flat, which is really nice. Uh, you run about a mile and a half and then you turn and you run back and uh, you're done by nine o'clock in the morning. So uh, it should be fun. Uh, but the proceeds, you know, go to a good cause as well. But I'm super excited because it's like I've done a couple of virtual ones in the last year. Mm -hmm. But this is like the first one where like everybody is going to line up. And, and you know, of course, I think I'm, I'm considering wearing a mask. I'm not sure, you know, how many people are going to be down there. Uh, but it'll be fun to be around people. It always, you always run differently when you run in groups. Usually I run way too fast at the beginning because I'm excited mm -hmm. and I get with the wrong group of people and they're like, just chug it along. And I'm like, this is great. And then I look down at my watch and realize how fast I was running the first mile and I go, I'm going to burn out. There's no way I could keep this up. 
So, but it's just more fun when there's people around. So it should be, uh, should be a good time. So I went and saw the Green Knight this past weekend. Ooh, but... that's the, the Dev Patel. Mm-hmm. It's really weird. It's A24. Okay. So just if you know anything about A24, all of their movies are a little odd. We saw in the beginning a preview for one called Lamb and the trailer is outrageous. A24, they just make weird movies in this one. Follow suit, but it's um, part of the King Arthur universe. Yeah, it's, it's, is that Sir Gwaine? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. It's, you know, it's like all the, the old stories, like everybody knows Lancelot and Arthur, but then you get into like the Sir Gwaine and the Galahads and and that's a little bit, that's like the deep cuts. Those are like the the B-side album where you're like, oh yeah, but my favorite song off of this album is the one that no one's ever heard of. Yeah. And it so, shows in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Is there, there's a reason they're not as famous because they're not as good. Now, Dev Patel, amazing actor. Um, Alicia Vikander uh, has multiple roles in in the movie. Um there's several faces that you'll see and you'll you'll recognize, but um, in terms of the movie itself, it was it was quite weird. Like, would you say that at the end of at the end of your time experiencing the weirdness, you enjoyed the weirdness, or were you like, I'm gonna need like a shower, or I want to think about something else for a while? It was just more like I had to look it up to kind of. It it was. One, I, I never knew the story of, uh, what is his name? Gawain? Sir Gu- yeah. Some I think people they, call it, I, I've heard Gawain or I've heard Gawain. They, they say Gawain in the movie, but. Um, so I never knew his. Maybe Sir Gawain is from, I think Sir Gawain is from uh, Monty Python, to be honest, now that I think about it. <laughs> Gawain. <laughs> but um, I didn't know his story, but. Um, it was just more like, okay, well, now we need to look this up to see what was the meaning of this whole thing. <laughs> what did I just watch? <laughs> so there's that. Well, I mean, that's exciting. It got you to do a little research and read. Uh, that That's fun. A whole paragraph. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's something. Uh, last week, I, I have been working with a tattoo artist that has done I, I have two tattoos now. I had one before and my, I got my second one last week or got it started. And it's a, it's a Pegasus. You have two? And when yeah, did you get I've, your first one? I didn't know you had one. Oh, well, they're kind of hidden. So I have a half sleeve on my left arm, um, which, I mean, this is part of being, you know, not actually seeing each other in person for 14 years. Right. Uh, so on, on my left arm, it's a, it's a Phoenix that has been in, caps or encapsulated in, in, in a frozen lake and is breaking out of the frozen lake so uh-huh. the ice is shattering and then it's igniting uh and that's on my my left arm and the artist who did that who i worked with uh what over quarantine was doing all sorts of painting and sketches and just putting it up on instagram because like everything else they were shut down and especially uh you can't just be you know sitting in a tattoo chair for hours upon end you know, inches away from somebody that real not COVID friendly. Uh, so he put up, he put up a sketch uh, of a Pegasus uh, in grayscale 
Um, and it's the Pegasus is sort of stepping out of a, of a picture frame. So it's got that dynamic movement to it as well. Uh, and so uh, I, he put it up in like January. I said, that's cool. We should do this. And it took until July before we could actually make it happen. But uh, I, so over the last week, whenever I wear shorts, because it's on my left calf, people have been asking questions. So I've been like trying to regale people with the story of Pegasus, of how the Pegasus was created out of uh, Medusa's, Medusa's head when it got cut off and how it's a story of perhaps the most beautiful creature coming out of, you know, something beautiful coming out of something horrible and how that really kind of feels like what's going on with reality and, and my life and everything now. So it's fun to like, you know, talk about stuff and, and educate people or, or at least share new stories to people. What day did you get yours last week? Last Tuesday. Huh. Yeah, no. I didn't mention it on a Wednesday because I was I was still in pain. I got one last week as my mom finds out that I just got another tattoo. Um, oh yeah, my, my parents as well if they listen to this. So yeah. But but it doesn't count as a new one because I just actually just added to one that I already had. Right. My mom's always like, What another one? Sorry, mom. <laughs> but it's really I mean, pretty. Do, do, do you have a like mom tattoo at all? Okay, I don't, but so I have on my leg, I have lilies because mom had told me at one time that that was like a flower that she really liked. And so there's, I've got that. And so I actually just kind of added on, um, I added more flowers, some sunflowers to the lilies that are on my leg. So, so that's, you know, a connection. So, so I just sent you a picture of the art. Oh yeah, claimed. He puts claimed so that nobody else can take it. Yeah, because it's a it's a one off, so nobody else uh, will ever will ever have it but me. So, That's awesome. Yeah, I didn't. Did I not I like send you part. a picture of mine? I thought I, don't I did. Think so. Oh well. Nope. I'm looking through our messages. I absolutely did not. But well, there you go. Basically, oh, but I didn't tell you that I was getting one. So that's true. That, ah, well, there you go. That's yeah. that's true. Turned about as fair play. That's really cool. Well, I think I was. I think when you mentioned it last week, I was like, "Oh, I should tell you." But then I was like, "Gosh, that just feels so one uppy." <laughs> if, if you were like, "I got a tattoo this week," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, so did I." <laughs> <laughs> so take that. <laughs> So um, real fast, a couple of shows that I watched that are on Netflix that are so awful, but they're, they're so bad, but I couldn't stop watching them. One is Sexy Beasts. Have you seen that? I, I haven't. Is this, is this another dating reality show like it, the Love Island and, and what's the other one? Love is Blonde. Yeah, it's like that. But, but Sexy Beast is they have people go out on kind of blind dates, but they are dressed as just weird animals so that you can't really see what they look like. So it's like if they took like the masked singer, but it's like masked blind date. That's exactly what it is. It's huh. masked blind date. So you have no idea what the, the person that you are going out with looks like. So they have one person and every episode alternates. So they like one episode is a female and she goes on a date with three males or another episode, a male goes out with three females. Um, I'm really surprised there weren't any same-sex couples on this. I figured yeah. there would be, but there wasn't. And I think there were six episodes. But if there's another season, I'm sure there will be. But anyway, so the 
person that's set up on the blind date and then the three dates all wear a full costume basically it's like they're on broadway but like so one might be dressed as like a old hag and one might be dressed as a rhinoceros or a fairy or a, a turtle or i think one was like a panda bear you know so you've got like this toad going out with a panda bear and apparently the people around them have no idea what's happening because you can just see oh. their reaction like what in the world is happening but so then they eliminate one and then they get to see like that person that's eliminated shows themselves to everybody and they're always like oh you're so beautiful you're so gorgeous which i mean yeah they're all right but you know their reaction would have you think <laughs> that they're all like supermodels which it's filmed in london and is everybody in the uk an influencer what is I mean, up there's, with that? there's a lot i guess evidently maybe just the people who get on tv are influencers Sorry. I feel like everybody, like on every show that I watch where people are in the UK, they're like, I'm a model. I'm an influencer. And I'm like, is everybody an influencer? Well, isn't that one of those things where it's, it's really hard to prove you're not? So yeah. you could just be like, oh, you know, I'm an influencer. I guess so. And then people are like, okay, I guess I can't like ask to see what you've influenced. <laughs> right. <so." laughs> right. <laughs> But so I, so, yeah. I guess you are. And then speaking of tattoos, there's another one on Netflix called Tattoo Redo, where people show up with your best friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, lover, whatever. And they ha have like a horrible tattoo, but, and they want it fixed. They want it covered up, but they don't mm -hmm. get to pick it. Whoever brought them gets to pick it. So if like you and I went, because you had a tattoo you wanted to get covered up, I would be the one picking the tattoo for you. So so these are people that saw the disasters on trading spaces and said, yeah, but what if we did that permanently on my body? <laughs> um, and spoiler alert, everybody loved their, their, their cover up, which I was like, I was expecting at least one person to be like, what did you do to me? But like, that was why I watched it because I wanted to see at least one person yeah. freak out. Like, it's like some, sometimes you watch NASCAR for the car crashes. You watch hike, hockey for the fights. Yeah. I wanted to see happen, someone like, freak out. That feels like it's, it's like watching an episode at Hell's Kitchen and Gordon Ramsay's just really nice to everybody. Right. Gordon's like, <laughs> oh, no, this kitchen's really clean. Oh, yeah, you guys did a great job. I'm so proud of you. I'm leaving. Like, uh, there's huh? nothing to be done here. No. So, yeah, that was that would not be engaging television. Oh, what? <laughs> Those tattoos, there's a, there's like several like I think uh, what's his name? He's a, he's a rocker, he's like a bassist for. Uh, I think he was bassist for Metallica. Who Tommy Lee? Was like, I mean, like not, the host. That's, that's uh, not Metallica. That's Motley Crue. Sorry. That's Motley. Yeah, and he was the he was the drummer, wasn't he? Uh, yeah. Not that it matters. Uh, but like, yeah, wrong instrument, wrong band. But it's it, still there was it was this rocker guy who like hosted like Ink Masters or something, and it was like just like those cooking shows or the design shows, but it was like with tattoos, and it was like you have two hours to to design and complete this tattoo on this person, and you're like, ah, that's that's Dave a lot Navarro, of Jane's Dave addiction. Dave Navarro, okay. Jane's addiction, yeah. and what was the other one he was in? Um, Wasn't he in Metallica at one point? He might have been. Like not an original member, but like joined 
in one of their incarnations. I know Jane's addiction, but I don't know that he was in Mattel. Maybe. Wasn't he married uh, to no, he, he's, he's married to Carmen Electra? Red Hot Chili Peppers. For I while. was about to say Red Hot Chili Peppers. Literally, it was on. Oh my gosh, I'm so mad I didn't say it because now you can be like, yeah, you could have said anything. But I literally was about to say it. <laughs> God. As you can tell by my I, reaction. I was, I was way off on, on Metallica, so I don't get to, I don't get to uh, judge. Oh my gosh, I was just literally like, it was a Red Hot Chili Peppers. Anyway, um, one last show, uh, Dr. Death is on the Peacock Network. If you are overseas, Peacock Network is one of our, it's NBC, one of our main channels. They have a streaming service because I've had a couple people ask me. Um, so I don't know what it's available on overseas. I know like typically Disney overseas carries a lot of stuff that um, normally would be on like HBO or something here. I, I don't know what Dr. Death would be on, but I suggest really trying to find it because it's it's good. It's based on the true story of Dr. Christopher Dunch, who brilliant mind, but complete narcissist sociopath. So according to the interwebs, Peacock will be uh, expanding to Sky in Europe in late 2021. Oh, all right then. Nice. That was just the just announced uh, breaking news on like July 30th. So nice. All right. Look at us. This is um, now a breaking news podcast. <laughs> I'm wondering if it is because of shows like Dr. Death, because it's really good. And it's based on the podcast, Dr. Death. So you can listen to the podcast. I was I was actually listening to it earlier. They literally take the bod, the podcast and just made it a TV show. Oh, is this the one with, uh, and you may have mentioned this. No, I don't Uh, think I did because I just watched it this week, but it's got like Joshua Jackson, Alec Baldwin, Kelsey Grammer, Christian Slater. Yeah, there you go. Action hero Christian Slater. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really good. And like I said, they pull it right from the podcast. So there are things that happen in the show that I'm like, oh, they had to have made that up, right? And they totally did not. Oh, that's crazy. Ah, Joshua Jackson, yeah, of Mighty Ducks fame. Yeah. I think I've mentioned this before, but he's actually married to the actress from Queen and Slim. They're a really beautiful couple. Oh. They just had a baby not too long ago. Did you end up seeing that? Because didn't that come out like this winter? Queen and Slim? Yeah, or was that? No, that came out like Thanksgiving before the pandemic. Wow. Time is means nothing to my head daniel kaluuya and jody turner smith yeah mm-hmm. wow is that it was before the pandemic mm-hmm. and they're both yeah. british which is hilarious yeah <laughs> it, it's funny because like english actors and actresses seem to be able to pull off american accents without as much issue as, as the reverse like when americans try to do british or scottish or mm-hmm. irish it, it's always like a little bit off I don't know why that is, but it's like often you'll be like, oh, they're British. You're like, I had no idea. Like, I hear know. somebody speak in their like uh, Karen Gillian, uh, who just did the, the who was uh, Nebula in the MCU and just had the gunpowder milkshake. Uh, we, see, I forget. <laughs> She's a see, I don't because I, I first saw her on Doctor Who. So I oh, always. That's yeah. That's who I that's always fair. think of. I'm like, Amy Pond. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so that de- definitely if you have Peacock or maybe get the free trial or something like that, so that you can watch Dr. Death because it's really good or just check out the podcast. It's a, um, a Wondery 
It's on the Wondery Network, but you can get it on Spotify. Hmm. But that's a- oh, and how about there's a real life serial killer? Like this, not a true crime story. This is a real life. There's a serial killer apparently in Atlanta at the moment. Oh, really? Yeah. Two women have been found uh, dead recently in the same murder style. Oof. And one one lady was killed in a park with her and her dog. So she was found in Piedmont Park, and then another woman was found like a couple days before that in another park, and they know it's related because of the manner of death. Obvious type of thing. Yeah. So please be oh. careful if you are in the Atlanta area, because that is wild. Yeah. But that's all I got. All right. Well, on that disturbing note for the citizens of Georgia, <laughs> let's start the A-side. <laughs> Go on, pep it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, because it is a even numbered episode, I get to go first. Uh, and uh, I'm always super excited about that. Doesn't make me nervous at all. Uh, I love going first. Uh, and this week, I was all set to uh, do another That Guy from That Show. And then on Monday night, I was out with some buddies uh, that I haven't seen in a long time. Part of it was COVID. Part of it was uh, we had a friend in town who is considering moving back, who's been in the military for uh, almost 20 years and is getting ready to retire. Uh, might also be a listener of the podcast. So congratulations to him. Uh, he was back in town. So we um, all got together on Monday night at our old school hangout. Uh, which was the place we went every Monday night in college for, uh, at that point, it was 50 Cent Burger Night. And when you're a poor college kid, 50 Cent Burgers is a pretty great deal. Uh, and at first, there was no limit until they realized just how ridiculous that was uh, when you've got six colleges within a quarter mile or uh, probably within a mile of the restaurant. Uh, they got overrun with college kids eating 50 Cent Burgers. Uh, so then they started having to limit them. But of course, sitting there talking about 20 years of, of life and, and sitting in this place with all these old memories, uh, we started going back down memory lane. And these are all guys that I've known all the way back uh, since, you know, uh, one of them since second grade, everybody else since fourth grade. And one guy came to school in eighth grade. We've all been friends for most of our lives. Uh, we all lived together at one point or another for the most part. Uh, and so when I get going down memory lane, uh, that train just keeps on running. And uh, I remember that one of the shows that we used to talk about a lot in grade school uh, was the Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. Mm -hmm. And once I thought about that, I was like, the last 20 years has been a huge sea change because I used to be a DC Comics Superman Batman was all my stuff. That was 80s, 90s Adam. Super into Batman, super into Superman. I remember the death of Superman story arc was, was huge. I still have all of the comics. I made my parents take me to the comic book stores we could buy. Like, so Superman dies and they launched like seven different 
versions of Superman and I'm trying to buy all of them to figure out who's going to be the real Superman. Uh, and a lot of that tied in with the Superman movies of the 80s with Christopher Reeve, which we had on VHS and would watch all the time. Uh, and even the Supergirl uh, movie of 1984 oh, starring yeah, Helen. Helen Slater, yeah. uh, which was, uh, I guess, an official like spinoff of the Superman ones. I just remember that we didn't watch that one as much because uh, it was a little scarier. And I can't remember what made it scarier but it was evidently scarier than the others so we didn't watch supergirl as much uh but i had completely forgot that in between the christopher reeve superman movies and then helen slater's supergirl in 1984 and 1993 when lois and clark the adventure the new adventures of superman launched with dean kane and terry hatcher uh terry hatcher being uh top five all-time crush as lois lane um that was 1993 adam was 12 it was perfect i felt madly in love uh yeah sorry i got distracted for a second i'm thinking of of uh, terry oh. hadger yeah yeah sorry gotta go pull myself back for a second come on reel uh, it back in in between 1984 and 1993 there was another super story it wasn't superman uh there was a tv series called superboy that I had completely forgot about. Uh, it ran from 1988 until 1992 and was a sort of spiritual successor to the Superman movies and the Supergirl movie in that it was run, executive produced and show run by the same force behind those movies, Ilya and Alexander Skalkin, who were the producers of the, those three Supergirl movies and the Supergirl movie. In the late 80s, the rights to Superman went through all sorts of convoluted court rulings and people trying to, to get it back and Warner Brothers and DC fighting over stuff. Uh, but in 1988, which was the 50th anniversary of Superman or Superman's 50th birthday at that point, uh, the Superboy series launched and it was syndicated. And then again, I was thinking how weird it is that things kind of come full circle right so back in the early age of television and movies you would sign a contract and you would be with warner brothers or mgm for your entire career you couldn't get out of it or the studio would own the show and it would only run on cbs or abc or nbc and then cable came along and all these other channels exploded and so you had studios that were just making shows and then shopping them around in syndication saying hey we've got the show do you want to do you want to put it on uh superboy was like that uh you know star trek the next generation was like that and now the pendulum swung all the way back where everything has to be connected and owned by a major player whether it's disney plus or netflix or you know peacock or you know, CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, any uh, FX, any of them, they all got their own stuff and it's owned strictly at that network and hardly anything except like game shows and trivia shows and like news magazines are syndicated anymore. So it's weird how we've swung all the way back. But in 1988, uh, the Superboy was the first TV series produced at the brand new Disney MGM Studios in Orlando, Florida. Uh, they had a 20 episode run for the first season, 
but they really didn't know if it was going to work or not because uh, everything that I've, I've read uh, reviews and things it seems like for the first 13 episodes they were kind of finding their way and, and weren't really taking any chances uh, they were doing really simple plots uh, I mean Lex Luthor in the first half of the first season is fixing basketball games and picking on Clark not really trying to take over the world mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't until they started to get a little bit more budget in the second half of the season that they started to you know expand a little bit and then evidently after the first season they either were given a blank check or told that they were good to go because they changed everything for season season two and when i say everything the only actress that or the only actor or actress that really stayed of the main characters um was the lana uh, lana lane character who was lois's you know cousin or little sister because uh, Lois is always in Metropolis, so they've got to have a different Lang when he's somewhere else. Uh, played by Stacy Haydick. Everybody else, uh, the original Superboy, John Hames Newton, uh, his you know college roommate, T.J. White, who was Perry White's son, uh, played by Jim Calvert. Uh, both of them were replaced. Even Lex Luthor, uh, played by Scott James Wells, was replaced after the first season. So they did a, basically a complete reboot of all the actors except for Lana Lane. Uh, in season two, in comes Gerard Christopher, who is the one that is probably the most, uh, when you think of Superboy, when you look at the DVD covers, he's the one I recognized. Uh, he was in seasons two, three, and four. Uh, there are also uh, conflicting reports that in season three and four, he may have done some executive producing as well. Uh, that was, I, I read that in a couple articles but then I couldn't find verification for it in IMDb. So that was a little weird. Uh, but in the first season, it focuses all about Super, Superboy going to college. And he's working at the school newspaper and his roommate, uh, TJ White, who's Perry White's son, Perry White, who's the editor of the Daily Bugle in Metropolis, uh, get into trouble and he falls in love with Lana Lane and they deal a little bit with Lex Luthor, but he's not really an evil genius until the end of the season uh, when they decide to co-op one of the original origin stories for Lex Luthor. And I don't feel like this was a powerful origin story in 1988, but I absolutely guarantee you there's no way that they will ever use this origin story for Lex Luthor in this day and age. Uh, He was in a lab accident. And in that lab accident, he has to be rescued by Superboy. And it results in Lex Luthor losing all of his hair. And because of that, he hates Superboy and becomes an evil villain. (laughs) because he lost his hair which i mean is kind of on the bottom of climactic moments that turn you evil right like if just losing your hair turns you evil but i feel like you were already going to be you were there you were just looking for an excuse uh so in the second season uh they decide to uh push the envelope a little bit more and get a little bit more fantastic and bringing in some of Superman's classic villains. Uh, for the first time on television and in film, uh, you had an appearance of Metallo uh, as a villain uh, that Superboy fights. Bizarro, who's one of the all-time great Superman foils, villains, kind of partners at time. Uh, it, 
you know, the bizarro Superman does everything opposite. Uh, everything the Superman is good at, bizarro is bad at. You know, it's it's a very goofus and gallant from like the hat. Remember the happenings book? Yes. The magazine you'd get in grade school and there'd always be the cartoon of like Goofus and Gallant and Goofus would always do the wrong thing and Gallant would always do the right thing. And, you know, it was something simple as like putting your stuff away or, you know, taking, you know, painting a fence or something like that. Uh, But Bizarro and Superman were very much the two sides of the coin. Uh, That's the first uh, appearance of Bizarro on TV. Uh, Gilbert Gottfried make an appearance as a wisecracking criminal which i mean how can you have gilbert godfrey and not let him be wisecracking uh but he's known as knickknack who uses toys to commit crimes which sounds a whole lot like a spider-man villain uh and then the, like the trickster or uh i believe that mark hamill played one in flash that was very similar uh so not a horribly inch, uh unique villain uh, season two also had an appearance by uh, a former subject on the A-side, Mr. George Labenzi, who was one of my top, I think he was number three on my James Bond list, uh, appeared as an alien that uh, tried to convince Superboy that he was his father, Jor-El. Uh, then season three, uh, building off of the success of season two and influenced in 1989 by the Michael Keaton Batman movie, season three decides to change everything once again. So instead of being at college, uh, they are now, uh, oh, sorry, in season two, they got rid of Perry White's uh, son, TJ White, and they brought in uh, another guy who was called Andy McAllister, played by Ian Mitchell Smith. And I saw the uh, his headshot and I'm like, hold on, that's Wyatt from Weird Science. Weird Science being the uh, late 80s movie about these two boys that create a robot uh, uh, that is a beautiful model that is magic and, and very over the top. Kelly LeBrock and uh, who was the, it was a Michael uh, Anthony Michael Hall mm-hmm. was the was the other guy in it and it was it was one of those movies that always played on USA and then RDJ the other one uh, no it was it was this guy oh it was Ian Mitchell Smith oh okay, okay okay who played who played Wyatt and I was like what happened to that guy so evidently he played Wyatt in Weird Science a couple other uh, shows and then was in this Superboy and then stopped acting completely. Oh, wow. Decided to uh, become a, go back to college, becomes a college professor uh, and like refused to have his picture taken and like none, didn't want any of his students to know that he was previously an actor. He was an assistant professor of English at uh, Ang- Angelo State University in San Angelo, Texas in the early 2000s. Uh, he, before that, he was at Texas A&M University, so he completely gave up dating, uh, became a college professor, and tried to hide his previous life until, in the last year, he has showed up acting again. Uh, he is in the, he plays a role in, or sorry, not the last year, within the last couple of years, he showed up on the Goldbergs in an episode titled Weird Science, so he's back after uh, what was that? 26 years of not mm-hmm. acting. He gets to come back and play the same role. Uh, but it's kind of crazy to have somebody have that you know level of seeming success and then 
walk away from it all and kind of hide from their old life. Uh, so it, he was in season two. Uh, in season three, they dropped him. And it almost feels like they were trying to, you know, if they, if they wanted to get darker and grittier because of the, the success of the Batman movie with Michael Keaton. But if you didn't know any better, you'd think they were ripping off X-Files because all of a sudden, instead of being at, you know, the university, uh, Lana Lane and Clark Kent are interns at the Bureau for Extra Normal Matters in Capital City, Florida. The Bureau is depicted as a government agency which investigates paranormal activities and aliens, including Superboy. So if the only problem with it being a knockoff of X-Files is this happened two years before X-Files came out. Not quite a knockoff. Not quite a knockoff. So maybe in a weird, weird way, uh, somebody was watching this season three of Superboy and got the idea for X-Files. Because uh, you would have thought it was the other way around. Mm -hmm. uh, Gerard Christopher, who was the second Superboy, uh, this is the season where it is sometimes mentioned that he uh, started to do some producing as well. Uh, things got a little bit darker, as I mentioned, where you'd have uh, a spinoff almost of, because in the early 90s, in 1991, 92, you had the death of Superman comic book story arc, which was a huge, uh, you know, cultural event at the time, at least for me. Uh, and you had all these different Supermen. And one of them was Connor Kent, the Superboy with a leather jacket. And, you know, like he was brash and young and turns out he was a clone of the original Superman. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry. 20, 30 year old comic book. If you didn't know, uh, in the third season, they start to bring in those uh, ideas as well. And there's even an alternate Earth version of, of Superboy that looks a lot like this Connor Kent from the Death of Superman storyline. Uh, it even has a, a story where uh, Superboy thinks he may have inadvertently killed someone in the, in the process of saving someone else and so he decides to give up the idea the superboy identity and stop being superboy so dealing with a little bit more you know heavier themes uh and even dealt with uh an alternate version reality of himself that comes back as an adult uh played by former tv tar tarzan uh, actor ron ellie uh who comes back as a man of steel from the alternate reality so they're starting to get into that time travel and a little bit more uh uh, serious matters. And then season four kind of uh, lurched to a halt with uh, the rights for Superman finally being uh, f you know, figured out in court. Uh, DC wanted to launch a new version. And that's when they started looking into uh, creating and casting and going forward with Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Uh, and evidently, in the casting process, uh, while this is all happening, uh, after Superboy had been canceled, he, uh, Gerard uh, Christopher was actually cast or brought to the audition for Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman, and according to some reports, was in the lead to get the role that eventually went to Dean Cain until one of the producers found out that he'd already played Superman. 
And so he said that disqualified him because they couldn't, they didn't want it to be a sequel to a series because they were trying to get away from a different series. So he was that close to playing the Dean Kane, uh, Clark Kent in Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman. Uh, one interesting fact is Gerard Christopher, when he played Superboy in 1988, he was 30 years old. So as a 30-year-old playing a you know 18, 19-year-old college kid, he was actually older than any other character or any other actor that who has played Superman. Uh, so 30 years old was older than Christopher Reeve, Dean Kane, Brandon Routh, Henry Cavill, and even Tyler Hoechlin, who's the newest one on the CW. And I'm I'm not sure if I'm saying his last name correctly. Uh, they were all younger than 30 when they played Superman. So ironically, the man who played Superboy, who's supposed to be younger than all of them, was the oldest. A great Hollywood uh, moment. So season four uh, was meant to keep going. There was going to be this huge cliffhanger. Uh, but when they found out that they were not allowed to keep going, they had to rewrite the ending. Uh, and it became... Uh, a little bit more of a denouement. They had hoped to do a cliffhanger, then do several TV movies afterwards to keep the series running. But with DC taking the rights back, they couldn't do that anymore. Because of that, the family was still fighting. Uh, the Alexander and Ilya, uh, and again, I'm going to say their name incorrectly. S-A-L-K-I-N-D, uh, Scotland, I believe. Uh, we're still fighting over the rights to the characters of Superman that they had created. And so in 1992, when the series ended, uh, there were no VHS tapes for Adam to collect. Uh, there wasn't even a DVD released until the early 2000s. I think the 2006 was the first DVD that was released. And then it took another five or six years before there was anything else released. So it's kind of gone because of the court process and because of fighting over rights and licensing and all of that nonsense. It's kind of disappeared from history. So it hasn't had any reruns. I know Lois and Clark was a huge hit. Uh, it was appointment television for me as a kid, and uh, it had some uh, syndicated, you know, years after its run. Uh, but the Superboy series has never reappeared or re-aired on American television or anywhere in the world. So the only way that you can watch it is if you buy it on either Amazon Prime, which is an option, uh, or Apple TV. Either of those, you can you have buy, to buy all it on Apple seasons. TV. You have to buy it on Apple TV. Yeah. There's no place that I have found that will show it for free. Well, darn. Yeah, you can, uh, and much to Adam's delight, uh, you can watch the uh, Lois and Clark, The Adventures of Superman series is on HBO Max. Uh, so that is uh, very good for my future, uh, probably next two weeks, because I'm going to end up binging all of that again. Uh, but the Superboy series uh, was, uh, you know, four seasons in the late late 80s, early 90s, and has never been aired again, and doesn't seem like it's going to be getting uh, a lot of love. Uh, when you look at the box sets of the Superman series, uh, they always focus on Superman 1, 2, and 3 with Christopher Reeve. And even though Supergirl and this Superboy are supposedly in the same universe, uh, they are never mentioned and seemingly are forgot to canon. 
this series, uh, Superboy, was to be in the universe that Superman returns. Uh, when it, Brandon Ralph played Superman, came back, uh, made this series canon as well, but still, uh, you cannot find much of it out there. Uh, there are some DVDs that I have found online, uh, depending on the, the sketchy, uh, you know, eBay sellers, if, if you want to try that out. And as always on the YouTubes, you can find uh, some of the trailers, uh, some, uh, you know, clip shows, maybe even a few episodes uh, that are may not be official. Uh, but yeah, it's very hard to find anything unless you want to buy it on Amazon TV or Amazon or Apple TV. And that is Superboy, the TV show that Adam forgot and has seemingly been hidden from history. Well, all right, there you go. That's the A side. That's the A side. So before we jump into the B side, just want to remind you that we got a message on our Instagram from your friend Janice Fringer with, yes. I know you said, because when you started off, you said you were going to do a that guy from that show. Still not a girl, that girl from that show, but anyway. Um, and she, she had, and it kind of, actually, I can kind of tie it together. Ha, huh, watch how I do this. So you talked about okay. Superman. Yeah. And this person was actually on an episode of Seinfeld. Seinfeld, huge Superman fan. Ha, if you've ever seen an episode of Seinfeld, you realize that he has Superman on his counter or like mm -hmm. his one of his cupboards in his house. Um, Janice had a re recommendation of Patrick Warburton. He'd be a good one. He would. I, I, Putty on Seinfeld was hilarious. And then he had like a little cartoon. What was it? The Tick? Oh, uh, yeah. He, he was on The Tick, which was which is pretty great. Uh, he was in the live action version of The Tick. The Tick is a highly underrated uh, comic book that then somehow... Like, I thought he voiced the cartoon as well. Well, did you get the cartoon one? I thought so. I, mean, I, I could be wrong, but I thought he did. Could be. Probably. I know he was also uh, in uh, Emperor's New Groove. Kronk. He was Kronk, which is a highly underrated uh, comedic performance. He's hilarious yes. in that. Yeah. So he'd actually, he'd be, he'd, he'd be one heck of a, that guy from that show. He would. I, I, I am very close to, and hopefully next week I'll be doing a, that guy from that show, but it's, but it is, is that, that lady from that show. Mm -hmm. um, that's what I was working on this week when I got sidetracked. So that is my uh, my plan. All right. See. All right. But see, I was able to tie that in. Yeah. No, it was that was that was a good tie-in. That's probably the most logical tie-in we've had. <laughs> <laughs> Other than hey, these happened in the same state. Quick question: If Seinfeld happened today. One, do you think he'd still be into DC or do you think he would have switched to Marvel? And if he had switched to Marvel, do you think that the statue would be Iron Man? No. I, I'm not I the, think the statue, was, the toy. Yeah, no, I, I think that there was too much that, that was Superman. I think he'd still be Superman. Okay. All right. Because Superman is just, it's a different, like, and this is this is what my father and I always talked about, and especially when like the death of Superman storyline happened, mm -hmm. whereas Superman came back and he was wearing black and he had long hair, and suddenly he was in a bad mood. Uh, and how before it was, you know, Superman was always the good guy, and you know, 
it wasn't dark and gritty and scary and, and and Tony Stark has always had a little bit more of an edge to him. So I think there's something, and there's something very New York about Superman. Okay. All right. Well, Metropolis. Wait, is Metropolis New York? Because I always thought Gotham was New York and Metropolis was supposed to be like Chicago. I heard, I've heard it the other way around, but I don't know. Okay. I thought I always thought Metropolis was was New was New York and Gotham was more like Boston or like but I think they're both versions of New York. But maybe like one's the happy version and one's the dark version. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not, oh it's based on both actually. Okay. So Yeah. All right. So it's no secret that both Superman and Batman cities are based in the same real world location, New York City. It suggests that Metropolis is the idealized version where Gotham shows the exaggerated take of the city as it's worse. So light and dark, like Adam just said. So you were right. Way less eloquently. I was right as well. So <laughs> you were, yeah. All right. So are you ready for the B side? Uh, as ready as I'll ever be. Well, this week. Okay, even though it is a true crime story, there is just something about this story that is just captivating. First of all, not that the guy is a good dude or anything. He did not directly kill anyone. He, he is responsible for um, a death, which we'll find out how, but what he himself didn't actually kill anybody. And just this story, Adam, You'll find you may have actually heard about this story and didn't even realize it. Oh, I, I that that I will already say is 100 percent true because there are so many things that I've heard of that I didn't realize. So this is the story of John Wadowitz. So John was born March 9th in 1945 uh, in Brooklyn. Speaking of New York, speaking there of Gotham, are. look at that tie-ins, tie-ins left and right. John was the son of a Polish father and an Italian-American mother. His early years were pretty typical. I mean, nothing really to stand out about, nothing really stood out about it, nothing really to, to talk about. He graduated high school and then he went into the army and he ended up serving in Vietnam. So while in basic training, John had his very first same-sex encounter with what he dubbed a, quote, Hillbilly by the name of Wilbur. In an interview, John describes dreaming of a sexual encounter only to wake up and find, well, he wasn't actually dreaming. He woke up in the midst of Wilbur performing a sex act on him. He didn't dislike it. He didn't stop him. <laughs> John and Wilbur ended up maintaining a relationship until he left for Vietnam. This relationship had a deep, deep impact on John. John was also deeply impacted by his time in Vietnam, as you know, <laughs> I think all soldiers who were in Vietnam were deeply impacted. Um, he was actually one of the only survivors of a rocket attack on his base. Oof. His mother, Terry, once was quoted as saying, when he was a kid, he was good. He was no trouble. The service screwed him all up. So John returns home after being discharged in 1967, and he began working for Chase Manhattan Bank. 
This is where he meets Carmen Bifolco. The two begin a relationship and they quickly get married, like in the same year. The two ended up having two children before separating in 1969. So 67, he's returns home. He's discharged, meets Carmen. By 69, they've been married, had two kids, and he's left her. So he leaves the family because he wants to find himself and pursue new relationships. Remember what I said earlier? He was impacted by the relationship he started in basic training. So in 1969, John joins the gay liberation movement. He's not, don't be like, oh, well, what a great guy. He wants to be an, no, he's not really trying to be an activist. John is really trying to just meet other gay men and party. So John <laughs> in 1971 meets Liz Eden, pre-surgery female. Liz identifies as female, but John called her by her dead name, Ernie Aaron. John and Liz married pretty quickly in an unofficial ceremony, because remember, they couldn't legally marry at that time. The ceremony was a lavish bash. I mean, like, went all out. Liz wore a flowing white wedding gown. Despite Liz having the wedding of her dreams, though, she was depressed because Liz really desired she really longed for gender reassignment surgery and it was expensive. This is, it's expensive now. So imagine in the seventies, okay. It was expensive and it just seemed unattainable to her. So it just added on to her depression to the point where she was having some suicidal thoughts. Initially at first, John did not approve of Liz's desire for surgery, but after a suicide attempt put Liz in the hospital, she went to Kings County psych ward. He changed his tune and decided that she needed to have the surgery. Unfortunately, financially, he was unable to provide that. So he decided in order to fund it, he was going to do something. He's going to- a second job. Uh, you would think, right? A little side hustle. His yeah. side hustle was called rob a bank. Yeah, quick money. That's very one day gig. Uh, yeah. So it should be noted that there are rumors that the true reason, or at least partially for the bank robbery, the bank heist was to repay money he owed to the mafia, the Gambino family. Again, being in New York or being from New York, you know all about the Gambino family. So John enlisted two buddies to help him pull off this plan to rob a Chase Manhattan bank. Remember, that's where he was working. Mm-hmm. So Salvatore Sal Natural was 19 and Robert Bobby Westenberg were his two buddies. Well, John had previously worked at the bank and he thought he'd be able to pull off the heist flawlessly. Well, we're telling the story, so probably not so flawless, right? Right. Just before the robbery on August 22nd of 1972, the trio go to a movie theater in Times Square to watch... The Godfather. Fun side note, Al Pacino connects this story or connects to this story more than once. So The Godfather was released in March of 1972. And unlike now, movies actually stayed in theaters for quite a bit of time. Released March 24th, 1972, it stayed in theaters until the end of the year, earning $81.5 million in North American box offices. Today, that would be like $526 million. So that's like, that's Avengers level. 
That's how yeah. big that movie was. Blockbuster. Oh, yeah. So the trio was deeply inspired by the film, and their ransom note read, this is an offer you can't refuse. Sorry, that was my best godfather. Oh, no. <laughs> it was, hey, wasn't bad. <laughs> so they're all amped up after their midday matinee. So now it's time to rob the bank. So this Motley crew was not the finely tuned instrument you'd imagine. Because, I mean, well, they did just watch The Godfather and go, ooh, here's a great idea for our ransom note. Yeah, we, we, could, totally, we could totally do this. So they first tried to rob a bank on Manhattan's Lower East Side, but <laughs> one of them dropped a shotgun getting out of the car. It went off. And of course, it drew a crowd, drew a lot of attention. So they quickly leave the scene. Next, they tried a bank in Queens Howard Beach. But again, the plans were interrupted when Bobby ran into his mother's best friend just as they were getting ready to execute their plan. <laughs> Probably not a good idea to rob that bank then. Yeah. Bobby, what are you up to? <laughs> right. How's your mother? Uh, uh, she's good. <laughs> can you hold my shotgun? <laughs> put this, can you put this mask over your head too? Um, so <laughs> in Manhattan, there was another attempt, but after crashing into a car during a dry run, that bank was abandoned as well. So if you think this sounds like a movie, just wait, just wait. Like at some point, guys, just like- <laughs> Let it Car- go. Yeah, like karma's like trying to tell you something here. <laughs> so finally they set on Chase Manhattan, but just before they entered, Bobby Wessenberg got cold feet because he saw a police car on the street. Bobby was, he threw up the deuces and was like, I'm out, bro. <laughs> he, he was like, well, you know, maybe this is finally karma catching my attention. Bobby and John were actually apparently a bit more than buddies having been intimate the previous evening. Yep, the evening before robbing a bank to get money for his wife's reassignment surgery. Actually, they were separated, but you get my point, right? Yeah, yeah. So John and Sal entered Chase Manhattan in in the Graveson section of Brooklyn. They slip a teller the ransom note. This is an offer you can't refuse. And and here's where it gets really interesting. As if it hasn't already been a wild ride. Right. Now the duo take the bank occupants hostage. Seven bank employees, some sort, excuse me, seven total, including bank employees. Some say eight, some sources say eight for what would be more than a day and a half, or a half a day, excuse me, 14 hours to be exact. Before the standoff started, the pair managed to get $38,000 in cash and $175,000 in traveler's checks, even though the bank's safe was half empty. One bank employee was able to hit the alarm and the building was quickly surrounded, remember, that's why Bobby left because there was a cop sitting right across the street. Yeah, doesn't take long to surround a place you're already at. Police set up outside, and an afternoon straight out of the movies begins. It didn't take long before a crowd of two thousand people were gathered outside to take in the scene. It is movie worthy. 
I keep saying that for a reason. Along with the crowd, the FBI, police snipers on rooftops, TV crews, and emergency services were all on site. Journalist Robert Bob Capstetter said, that was a Brooklyn crowd that night. It was a full-blown show. Bob's very important, and he'll come back up in a minute. Okay. So John knew his role, and he played it well. He was the sympathetic hostage taker. He immediately demanded food for the hostages. He ordered pizza. When it was delivered, he generously tipped the uh, delivery guy and even tossed some of the money, the ill-gotten gains, out into the crowd. The hostages themselves even grew a fondness for John. They weren't like afraid of John or, or afraid for themselves, but it was summertime, it's hot, they're exhausted, it's been a long day. Teller Shirley Ball said in an interview, I recalled that he was friendly, had a purpose for robbing the bank. He thought he'd be in and out, which is, he really did think he'd be in and out. Yeah. So speaking of his purpose, about two hours into the negotiations, John demanded to see his wife in exchange for the release of the hostages. He said, I want them to deliver my wife here from Kings County Hospital. His name is Ernest Aaron. It's a guy. I'm gay. That was his quote. Again, he refused to call Liz by the name she chose and kept calling her by her dead name. So earlier I mentioned Bob Capstatter. Bob's shift as a journalist began at five o'clock, which was just a couple of hours into the ordeal. Bob picks up the phone. He just says, you know what? I'm just going to try it. He picks up the phone and he calls the bank, wondering if John would answer. He did. Bob said he opened the conversation with, so how's it going? To which John replied, how do you think? (laughs) So after his phone interview, um, Bob goes, he heads over to the bank. He's like, I got to interview this guy in person. So he goes over to the bank and John lets him in. John announces to the viewing audience that he was robbing the bank to fund his wife's operation, endearing him to some, and then of course, causing scorn in others. Mm -hmm. John's demand of seeing Elizabeth was surprisingly met. Liz, still in her hospital gown, was forcibly brought to the bank, but once on site, she refused to go into the bank to speak to John. She wasn't convinced that this was truly all about her. You see, she and John had actually broken up over her desire for the surgery. John's mother was also on site. She did speak to John. So John's demands soon changed. He wanted a plane to get out of the country. The FBI said no and made things in the bank very uncomfortable. First, they cut the phone lines, which was a big deal because John had been allowing the hostages to call family and keep in touch with them and just kind of update them and say, hey, we're good. I'm fine. Everything's okay in here. The FBI figured the loss of connection would turn the hostages against John. It didn't. They know who cut the phone line. They know it wasn't John. He'd been letting them use the phone all the time. Next, they turn off the air conditioning because remember, it was hot. It was real hot. It was the middle of summer. They turn off the air thinking, all right, now we got them. Still, it didn't turn the hostages against John. 
So the FBI relented and they gave into the, the demands of John who promised to release a hostage at each step along the journey until he and Sal were to safety because they wanted a plane. So like, you know, along the journey to the airport, you know, when they get to one airport, when they get to another, when they get out of the country, they were going to let a hostage go each step of the way. Mm. So the FBI brought a vehicle that John, that transported John and Sal and the remaining hostages to John F. Kennedy Airport. He did let go of one hostage at the bank. And before he even got into the vehicle, John did like a sweep of the vehicle, checked it to make sure there was no hidden weapons and all of that. So they end up at John F. Kennedy Airport. When they arrive, their plane is not there as promised, but they promised John, don't worry, it's en route. Mm-hmm. So using this distraction, there's a plane that's coming in and using that distraction of the incoming plane, agents shot and killed 19-year-old Sal Naturale with a concealed weapon. Like I said, John had actually inspected the vehicle before they got in. But this driver, who was actually an agent, like he gets out, he goes talk to another agent, gets the weapon. Yeah. You know. This caused John to surrender thus ending the 14-hour ordeal, but not the story. So John watched Al Pacino in The Godfather, but John also watched Al Pacino as himself. On April 23rd, 1973, I'll tell you about that. Don't worry. John was sentenced to 20 years in Lewisburg Federal Penitentiary. He was there. It was there that John met his next wife, George Heath. George was a bank robber and a jailhouse lawyer. The pair married on the prison yard on July 31st of 1974. George said, quote, he loved to be married. (laughs) He had to have a wife. So I became the third wife. George even said that he and Carmen, the first wife, were friendly and would wave to each other when she would visit. John was released on April 10th of 1978. So filmmakers asked John if they could buy the rights to his story. He agreed, but with the stipulation that the money was used to go to Elizabeth for her surgery, which she did receive. Mm -hmm. How much money did John get? Well, initially, he, um, he was set to receive $7,500 plus 1% of the film's net profits. The film earned an estimated $50 million in the U.S. and Canada. Ooh. John did not see all of that money. John later ended up suing Warner Brothers and earned an additional $100,000. Even though Liz did get her surgery and eventually remarried, things unfortunately didn't end super happy for her. Liz and her second husband divorced and she passed on September 29th of 1987 at Genesee Hospital in Rochester, New York due to AIDS-related pneumonia. John actually attended her funeral and gave a eulogy. Even though their marriage ended badly, Liz did visit John when he was rearrested for parole violations in 1984 and again in 86 and 87. He was released in April of 1987. All right, so I know you've been like, okay, give me the Al Pacino story. I need to know it, right? What movie is this? All right, Adam, I'm going to give you the title. 
the movie is Sydney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon, oh. which was released in 1975 while John was still incarcerated. Wow, they weren't messing around. They turned that around quick. Very quickly. So Al Pacino played the title character, Sonny Wartzik, inspired by John. Mm-hmm. Of course, even the outspoken one, or ever the outspoken one, John would be critical of the film's inaccuracies. Um, <laughs> so also in the movie, Chris Sarandon, who was also in The Godfather, played Leon, based on Elizabeth um, Eden. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me get back to the inaccuracies. Um, John said it didn't show the whole truth. The little it did show was constantly twisted and distorted. The movie was a critical success, even despite John's, you know, uh, problems with it. Right. Yeah. It received six Oscar nominations and one win for screenplay. So in prison, the smooth-talking John convinced the warden to screen the film. And by smooth-talking, I basically mean blackmailing. The warden initially <laughs> said no to John's request to screen the film. And then John said, if you don't show this in, the, in this prison, I'll go to the press and I'll hang you by your effing cannolis. <laughs> I'll start the biggest prison riot you ever saw. I want the effing movie shown. And I want it shown to the inmates because I promised them for years because nobody believed there was going to be a movie. Big talk for someone who actually got abused quite a bit due to his celeb status. Yeah. Sadly, to the point that he was actually viciously gang raped and beaten so bad that he was hospitalized. And that would leave him with lifelong nightmares. That's unfortunate. I personally think John needed this win, if you will. You know, like them showing this film based on his life, that was a win for him. Oh yeah, especially if he said it's gonna be happening and nobody would believe him. Right. Believing him. So I previously mentioned that John had issues with the film. One of the biggest issues was the relationship and appearance of his first wife, Carmen, who was played by Susan Peretz as Angie in the film. First, he was not happy with the portrayal of Carmen Angie as a plain overweight woman whose behavior led to his relationship with Elizabeth when in actuality, he'd left Carmen two years prior to meeting Elizabeth. He stated the film made Carmen look horrible and inferred that I left her and winded up in the arms of a gay man because of her. That's completely untrue. And I feel sorry for the actress for having to play such a horrible role. As I mentioned, John was released in 1978. And aside from the few thousand that John gave to Elizabeth for her surgery, he didn't see much of the profits from the film. Remember, $50 million it made. Yeah. John would actually be contesting this until his death. I should note that the New York State Victims Compensation Board redirected tens of thousands of dollars to the hostages. So that's a big part of why he didn't see that money. Mm-hmm. After his release, John applied as a security guard at the same Chase Manhattan bank he robbed. He said, I'm the guy from Dog Day Afternoon and I'm guarding your bank. Nobody's going to rob the Dog's Day bank or the Dog's <laughs> Bank. 
I can't imagine why, but they declined to hire him. I can't. What? I mean, you know, you know, what's really funny is that like, if it happened today, they'd probably do it. (laughs) John, by this time, had fully embraced his dog persona. John found a job cleaning toilet bowls on Park Avenue and ended up on welfare living with his mom. He would spend his free time in front of the bank wearing a t-shirt that said, I robbed this bank. <laughs> he would also sign autographs. I'm not going to lie. I, if I was in New York and I saw him and I knew the story, I'd be like, hey, let me get a picture with you. Yeah. It's quite the story. It's quite, it's quite the story. Like, it is a captivating story. Yeah. And, it, and like you said, it seemed like he was, the, even like the hostages didn't seem that upset with it. You know, like they seemed like he was a decent guy. I mean, he's getting them food. He's making sure they still can talk to their family. Yeah. I mean, as a hostage, life was pretty good. I mean, it's just, if you're going to be taken hostage, that's the type of hostage right. you want to have. Exactly. I guess. Exactly. So John died of cancer in 2006 at the age of 60. There's been several documentaries made about John. The Dog, also known as Storyville, the great sex addict heist was a 10-year process. It was 10 years in the making. New York filmmakers Allison Berg and Frank Corodron found John in 2002. They They literally went and found him. Allison said they were curious to see if he was as compelling as his film counterpart. And in fact, he was a hundred times more unusual and interesting and hilarious. She said the filmmaker spent every other weekend with the dog and his mother, Terry, after John's death in 2006, the filmmakers reached out to others for interviews. The film premiered at the Toronto international film festival festival in September of 2013. The third memory sees real-life dog John reenacting the events of his bank robbery with actors and props on a reconstruction of Sidney Lumet's set. Added in is actual footage from the film and news footage. It was released in 2000. It's 10 minutes long. Hmm. And then, based on a true story, released in 2004, is 15 minutes. It's a documentary about John and Sal's robbery attempt. But that is the story of the dog, John Wadowitz, a.k.a. the dog. <laughs> the dog. Wow. Have you seen Dog Day Afternoon? You know, I, I haven't. It's, uh, I, there's a lot of Pacino movies I haven't seen from the 70s and early 80s. Uh, yeah. so I, I need, to, I need to, uh, to fix that. Yeah, I, was telling- I, I know it. I just saw Taxi Driver within the last couple of years. So I'm slowly working my way through them. I was telling my uh, stepdad about it. And I was like, because he's a, he said he's like Al Pacino is one of his favorite actors. And he was like, I can't, I don't remember that movie. So hopefully he'll get to watch that and know that it is based on a true story. Yeah. And it definitely said, because like I see, I've seen Scarface and like the, you know, uh, the Godfather, yeah, and it, it just—they all seemed kind of similar, but this sounds very different. So yeah. I probably probably just chalked it up to the same sort of thing, uh, without really ever taking giving it a second look. So, well, you absolutely should know. You and definitely need to check it out. 
so and according to we'll just bring a little of the a-sided uh you can watch it on hbo max <laughs> um it is uh, available to rent on Amazon Prime, YouTube, and Apple TV, but it is free with your HBO Max subscription. So if you're like Adam and you haven't seen Dog Day Afternoon and you and you may be doing that tonight before you go to bed, uh, just <laughs> use your HBO Max subscription, uh, which if you're like Adam, you forgot you had until a few weeks ago. Uh, speaking of subscriptions, I actually bundled my Hulu because I have Hulu and Disney Plus, and there's mm -hmm. like a bundle package where you get yeah. ESPN as well. So Chris Evans, boo, if you ever need ESPN, I got you, boo. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, when you bundled was, so what, because I did the same thing. Like I had Hulu already, then Disney Plus came out. And then so I'm like, oh, okay, I'll just sign up for everything. And then they're like, oh, well, there's a bundle, but they still charge me individually for each thing. So are you getting charged individually for each one? Uh, yes, but I get a credit from Disney. Okay. Towards like my Hulu. So the bundle together is $13.99. And so I get like a, I don't know, it's like a $6 credit from Disney towards my account because of the fact that I have the Hulu bundle because mine was they took what i was already paying uh hulu and then they discounted uh disney plus and espn but then they still charge me individually so each month i get charged one cent for espn plus yeah yeah so i'm like going through my my register <laughs> and i'm like is that is that like a real transaction oh yeah yeah that's that's what i paid for espn plus and the best thing is I get more value out of ESPN Plus than I do any other subscription service for what I'm paying. See, I have no man, but when I get one, I've got it covered because I'll have ESPN. Oh, they got they got like the thirty and thirty documentaries and stuff. Those yeah. yeah, yeah, and then, Which... and like they got all the weird sports on there too. So. <laughs> But there you go. So that is the story of John Wadowitz, a.k.a. The Dog. The Dog. And that is your B-side. See, that was, that, I was, that, I, that, that was very uplifting. See, I told you, this one, yeah. this one is more captivating. I mean, yes, it's a true crime story. And yes, he, you know, he did rob a bank. And, and unfortunately, one of his, his, his co-conspirators did die yeah. as a result of it. But the story itself is just like wild, especially yeah, that. It, funny, like when you mentioned somebody died at the beginning, I was like sitting like here, like trying to figure it out. Like I'm watching murder show, like, okay, who's going to die? Who's going to die? And then I totally forgot. And then when the guy died, I was like, Oh, I should have seen that. <laughs> but it's just amazing that it, it garnered so much attention and it just was so captivating so much so that so many years, even after the fact, he could just wear a t-shirt and be like, I'm the yeah. guy that robbed the bank. And had a movie made of his life. Well, not of his life. Within but like a couple of years. I mean, it, it feels, it, it feels like a story that would happen now, not the mid seventies, you know? Right. Like some, in, you know, some influencer uh, ends up robbing a bank and it's all over like, you know, they're doing, reels and they're on tiktok and like all the hostages are doing a dance with them and then like it feels like that level of of, of media coverage sort of absurdity would happen now not then so yeah i guess i'm kind of amazed that we haven't 
like made heroes of criminals more often in modern day. Maybe that's something we don't do anymore. I guess not, but I mean, and like I said, not that he was a great guy or anything. It's just, I don't know. There's just an appeal to the story. And even in the actual movie, you know, they, they touch base on his reason for the burglar for the robbery, which in the seventies is like, Whoa. Does it? Yeah. It was not, not mainstream at the time at all. But if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. As Adam said, you can watch it with your HBO Max subscription. It's also on, what'd you say? Amazon? Uh, it's on Amazon Prime for $2.99, Google Play for $3.99, YouTube for $3.99, and Apple TV for $3.99. So for less than the price of a cup of coffee, you can see Dog Day Afternoon tonight. Or just ask Adam for his subscription. He's not using it anyway. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what my login is or anything. I'm not using it. I think I have HBO Max through my Hulu, which is very confusing, or it's through Amazon Prime. I, I stumble like through, upon it sometimes. Through your Hulu, it's even it's so expensive through Hulu. Yeah, and I don't think it's I don't think I got access to everything. I should really do something about that. You might want to do some investigating, some research. Yeah, sounds exhausting. I was trying to figure out how to get my real ID this week, and that's that's going to be a whole thing. Cool. <laughs> You know, the, but, you, know, you got to have like 14 different pieces of paperwork to prove that you're alive. Can I just use my passport, I wonder? This yeah, is a whole yeah. sub, sub, separate topic. Yeah, no, this is this is a real ID podcast now. Yeah, if you have your passport, that's great. But I mine is expired. So, ah, okay. yeah, so I just uh, I, it's going to be I'm going to walk in like comically with like 37 different binders up to the counter and be like, oh, I think I have my paperwork. <laughs> little old lady behind the counter is just gonna sigh and push her glasses up and be like this is happening again <laughs> oh, but there you go that is the b-side and that's been another episode of a-side b-side podcast of course photos sources on our website a-side oh mm. adam a-side b-side podcast.square.site good job good job good job also on the website, there's, um, well, ways that you can help us. Also ways you can help out in the community. I always forget to mention that one. You can also submit stories to us. Maybe like Janice did, you can send us to that guy from that show. Or if there is a true crime story that you'd like me to look into, you can do that on our website. You can also email us, asidebsidepodcasts at gmail.com. We would really greatly appreciate you you we love you anyway but we love you even more to the moon and back if you'd head on over to apple and give us a, a rating and a review ways to help the podcast while you're on the website filling out your stories for us you can also um get some merch we got t-shirts sweatshirts yeah. masks because you know they're back in season again yeah it's almost mask season again so <laughs> get, get ready it's so hot this year masks you'll be on the runways of paris milan and your local cbs <laughs> coffee mugs speaking of coffee you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash pod all money goes to um the promotion of the promotion slash um production production thank you i'm losing my words promotion slash production of the show and um i believe that's it oh socials we have the socials 
yeah. we have Instagram, we have Twitter, we have Facebook, so you can get to us on the socials as well. All right. I think that's all, right, Adam? That's all. All right. I feel like Porky Pig. That's all, folks. That's all, folks. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Brooke. As always, thank you for listening to A-Side, B-Side podcast. If you enjoy the show, please, if you don't mind, head on over to Apple and leave us a rating or a review. And if you'd like to continue to support the podcast, you can do so by heading on over to Patreon or you can buy us a coffee, as well as buying merch on our website, asidebsidepodcast.square.site. From Adam and I at A-Side, B-Side podcast, please remember to wear your mask, social distance if you're around people that don't live in your household, and just be safe and happy. Thanks again from us here at A-Side B-Side Podcast.